0: Turn with me this morning to John chapter 21, John chapter 21, and we're going to read from verse 15, John chapter 21, verse 15. Let's hear the word of the Lord. If you find the place. The scripture said, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me. He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me. Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, saith the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren, that that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, He shall not die. But if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? This is the disciple which testifieth of these things, and wrote these things. And we know his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Amen, when the Lord will stamp his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text this morning is taken from John 21, verse 22. It reads as follows, Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. And my theme today is entitled understanding the real meaning of following Christ you see in the closing part of John 21 there contains a very revealing conversation between Simon Peter and the Lord Jesus Christ after Christ's death and crucifixion Simon Peter and the other six disciples had gone fishing there in the sea of Tiberias or the sea of Galilee they've toiled all night and they've caught nothing As the morning dawns, the risen Lord Jesus appears to them on the seashore, and he asks them this question, Children, have ye any meat? And of course they answer, No. He instructs them then to cast their net on the right side of the boat. Despite not recognizing immediately it was the Lord Jesus, they obey his voice. Soon the net was full of fishes, so much so that they had to come to shore. And as I've said, this is at the seashore of Tiberias. And here's a wonderful miracle. And this miracle, of course, paved the way for them having breakfast with Christ on the seashore. So you can picture the scene now. Think of these disciples sitting around the fire. They're eating bread and fish that's been provided by Christ for them. He is graciously and wonderfully ministering unto them. And, of course, he pays particular attention to Peter. He does three things in relation to Peter. There's three parts to this conversation. Three times he asked Peter the question, Lovest thou me? I believe that Peter humbly and honestly answered and professed his love to Christ. The Lord Jesus then told him, Secondly, to feed my lambs and to feed my sheep. Now, wasn't that wonderful news for Peter to hear? Peter, you have a future after all. Peter, Peter you, are, you have a ministry that I want you to fulfill for me. Peter, your failure and denial towards me, well, well, it's not final. Peter, I have a work for you to do. This was a word of restoration. How gracious and how merciful the Lord Jesus is. Isn't it wonderful that he puts up with our failures our backslidings, puts up with our sin and deals with us gently and graciously to bring us to the place where we will declare our love for him. You see, those that would serve Christ must love Christ. And Peter's denial of Christ a few days earlier with oaths and cursings, Peter's now discovering that Christ has mercifully forgiven him. The other thing that the Lord Jesus did with regarding Peter was not only getting him to profess his love for Christ and speaking to him about his future ministry for Christ, but he dealt with him regarding his personal walk with Christ. If you look at our text, it says, Follow thy me. Peter was instructed in the verse 19, Follow me. Peter is told by the Lord Jesus at the end of your life you're going to face martyrdom. You're going to lose your life for the sake of the gospel. And twice in this conversation he, he repeats to Peter the words, follow me. Now, I want to ask you this morning, what do these words mean? How significant are, uh, and important are these words when you hear them? How important and significant were they in the life of Peter? You see, I believe there was not just a, a physical dimension to this, but I believe there's a deeper spiritual dimension. I, I believe these words are, are full of meaning. And I've been asking myself all week, what do the words follow me really mean, Lord? So that's the sermon this morning. Let's try and understand the real meaning of these words following Christ. Now, three things I want to leave with you. First of all, there's a precept to be obeyed. You see the words, verse 22, follow thou me. This is what we call an active imperative verb. A verb's a doing word, young people. Think of the word follow. It's active. It's in the present continuous tense. But it's also an imperative. In other words... It means the Lord Jesus is commanding a particular course of action for Peter to engage in. This is not something that Peter's passive in. It's not an optional extra. It's not a mere suggestion. It's stronger than an invitation to come. This is an action. This is a a duty that Peter's to engage in. If I could put it this way, this is a, a present precept. You think of a captain or a major in the army he says to the soldier, come here. He says to another soldier, do this. He says to another soldier, go here. And what does that soldier do? He says, yes, sir. So think of the, the captain-soldier relationship. In other words, it's his duty and responsibility to pay the command of his superior officer. And in the Christian life, the Christian life is a life of following Christ with a deep sense of duty. Something that he does now. Something that's ongoing. Something that's on a daily basis. Something that's forever. Oh, that we could grasp that. You see, whenever an individual receives Christ as Lord and Savior, having recognized their sin and repented of it and repudiated it, and received Christ as Lord and Savior, and makes an honest profession of him, you enter into a life where you're saying, I'm going to follow Christ now and forevermore. I'm going to follow Christ every day. You see, it's more than just saying, oh, I'm a Christian, and I go to church every Sunday, and I read my Bible, and sometimes, especially in times of trouble, I pray. No, no, this is more than that. This is a present, daily, now and forever following of Christ. One of the old Puritans says a man cannot be a true Christian and not follow Christ. You see, that's something that's foreign to the Bible. I'm a true Christian, but I'm not going to follow Christ. I'm not going to listen to him. I'm not going to do anything he tells me to do. Well, well, that's foreign to the Bible. You see, haven't we so many today in Christendom, in the religious world, and they claim that they're followers of Christ? But they don't understand what the words mean. They haven't first of grasped that this is a, a present precept. This is a, a, an active imperative. I want you to understand also that that's a personal command. If you look at our text, look at it carefully. It says, "Follow thy me." Thy is emphatic. Follow thy me. It's a word for Peter as an individual. Peter at this time has been distracted because he's been thinking of John. He's been looking at John. He's been asking, Lord, what about this man? But the moment he started looking at John and talking about him, he wasn't looking at Christ. You see, he sees John following and he wants to know what the Lord's will is for John. So he's distracted. He's got his eyes of Christ. And the Lord's saying to him, follow thou me. You, Peter, you personally. Forget about John and what my will is for John. You make sure that you as an individual, you follow me. Isn't it true that so easily we can get distracted from following Christ? Isn't it true that many of the little things in life, even the lives of other believers, can get us distracted so much so that we take our eyes of Christ you know it doesn't take much to distract us isn't this really sobering so much so that the Lord has to repeat this command because Peter has forgotten already what he's heard follow me and the Lord Jesus has to come a second time in verse 22 and says follow thou me Peter I'm addressing you it's so easy to get distracted At what other disciples are doing, what other disciples are saying, where other disciples are going, we get our eyes in them, we, we judge them, we speak out uh, either to them or against them. And we forget this. Who am I that judges another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Peter's asking what is the Lord's will for John? And the Lord Jesus is saying to him, forget about what my will is for John. Concentrate on what my will is for you. See, in a sense, the Lord Jesus is rebuking Peter gently. And he reinforces by repeating the command. It's very emphatic. Whatever my will is for John has nothing to do with you, Peter. It's not your concern. Your duty and obligation is to follow me. What's my will for you? Notice also this is a very precise precept. Think of the word me, follow thou me. Not your dreams, not your ambitions, not your plans, but me. Me. See, the first great duty of every true believer is to have Christ at the center of their life. Philippians 1.21 says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, the first great duty of every believer upon his profession of faith in Christ is to follow Christ, to, to live with their eyes on him, to live for him, and do it on a daily, ongoing, now and forever basis. Not, not, not their eyes on the church leaders. Remember, church leaders are only men at best. And the best of men will let you down and fail you. Certainly don't get your eyes on the preacher. because, And this preacher in particular. Because remember, he fails too. Don't fill your mind with the notions and ideas of some great author. Don't fixate yourself with some new spiritual fad or fashion. Get your eyes away from church leaders, away from preachers, away from authors, away from televangelists, and special spiritual fads and fashion. Get your eyes in Christ. Live to follow hard after Christ. Certainly don't put your trust in other men, however good they are. Don't ever allow men to be put in the place of Christ. So here's this very present, personal, precise precept. And it's not just addressed to Peter. I believe it's also addressed to us, to every true believer this morning. Isn't it true that we can often drift in a spiritual sense? Isn't it true that we can often wander away spiritually? Remember, we're sheep. And Christ is our great and chief and good shepherd. And as his sheep, we're meant to hear his voice and obey him. And yet the truth is, we're prone to wander. We wrestle with inward remaining sin. We've got the pull and lure of the world. We've got the devil hot on our heels, who, who, who's out to, to destroy and mar and, and wound our testimony. And when we're wandering, we're not following hard after Christ. We're certainly not following hard after Christ in the way we've been instructed. We're not following hard after Christ in the way we ought to. We're not following hard after Christ in the way that we once did. See, remember there was a time in Peter's life when he followed hard. There was another time in his life when he followed afar off, when he denied Christ with oaths and cursings, when he warmed himself at the enemy's fire. And yet it was this very man that was told, follow thy me. Peter, I want you to take on board this present, personal, precise command. I want you to obey this precept. If Peter had asked, well, Lord, what is your will for me? Here's the Lord's will for Peter on this day. Follow Thy me. So I'm going to ask this morning, are you a follower of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Do you live to follow hard after him? Do you live to hate and obey his voice. Are you the Lord's sheep? Is he your heavenly shepherd? Is he this morning your Lord and Savior? Was there a time when you trusted him, when you received him as your Lord and Redeemer? When you come to him and confessed your sin and repented of it, and you entered into a relationship with him where you wanted to follow him and follow him hard day by day, See, remember what I said. I believe that every true believer in Christ will be a true follower of Christ. There's many pretenders. It's easy to say, I'm a follower of Christ. that There's many false followers. But the true follower will take to heart this precept that shall be obeyed. What's Christ's will for me? Follow Thy me. So there's a precept to be obeyed. I want you to think secondly there's a picture here to be understood. You see, these words are used in reference to going in the same direction, or going in the same way, or following in one's footsteps. You think of the word follow being used in reference to falling in behind someone, to walk in their footsteps, and you do it uh, commonly. Uh, Think of the the, uh, The master-pupil relationship where the pupils are following the master whithersoever he goes. The word follow can be used in reference to being in union and communion with an individual. It can be a reference to cleaving to him. It can be a reference in conformity to him, conformity to his teaching, conformity to his lifestyle, to his ideas, to his goals. The reference even goes as far as being prepared to live for this individual and if necessary to die for this individual. And it's not all in the context here. This is what following Christ means. It goes beyond... A life of testifying to God's salvation. It's wonderful to think of the words behind the pulpit here. Salvation is of the Lord. That the Lord has saved me from sin's penalty, sin's power, sin's pleasure. He's taken the love of sinning out of my heart one day from sin's presence. But but the Christian life is much more than that. It's beyond the life of testifying to salvation. It's also a life of total surrender to the Lord. Think of the the little hymn, All to Jesus, I surrender, I surrender all. You see, it's a life of total surrender and full consecration to the Lord. Peter was being urged to live his life daily and constantly looking to Christ, living to obey him, living to own him as his Lord and Savior. You see, it's practical. It's experimental. This is what true Bible-believing Christianity is. It's more than a mere coming to Christ. It's more than a mere signing up to a creed. It's more than making a mere profession of faith. It's more than just having a name and saying, I'm a Christian. Here's an individual who's daily, constantly owning and obeying Christ. So much so that that individual is living for him. That that individual is going on with Christ. So if you get the picture of being living in vital union and communion with an individual. Traveling with him. Following in his steps. On a journey day by day. That's what's involved. And at the heart of this total surrender is a life of self-denial. Putting the Lord in the center of all things. Putting the Lord first, second, third. The Lord's in the center. Here's the pathway of true discipleship. It's not about living for sin. It's not about living for self. It's not about doing your own thing, fulfilling your own desires and agendas and plans. It's it's putting the Lord at the center. Turn over there to John chapter 12 and look with me at verse 26. The Lord Jesus said, If any man serve me, let him follow me. See the connection between service and following? And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. And also turn there to Matthew chapter 16 and look with me at verses 24 and verse 25. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall, will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. You see, that's the teaching here. Here's what every true follower of Christ must do. He must utterly deny himself he's saying, I have no righteousness of my own. I'm looking to Christ. So I abandon all claims to self-righteousness. I have no rights of my own. I I look to Christ. I'm not going to insist on my rights because I belong to another. I I have no rest of my own. I, I look to Christ. I'm not going to rest in my wisdom. Or my strength, or my ability, or my gifts, or or my talents. All that I have is before the Lord. Now this life of self-denial, I confess it's difficult. It's not easy. Because when we apply this to the nitty-gritty of life, when it comes to our money, when it comes to our time, when it comes to our focus, when it comes to our energy, when it comes to our lifestyle, And begins to impact upon us in that way then we see the extent of this call to a life of self-denial i often think of that lovely illustration of david and jonathan after the defeat of goliath uh, when david met jonathan for the first time remember jonathan was king saul's son he was the heir to the throne they pledged their friendship with one another and we read there in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 3 and 4, something that's very, very interesting. It says then, Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him in his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. Could, could you get that picture? Into your mind Jonathan the king's son Heir to the throne Takes off his royal robe Gives the bow and arrows to David Says to David Here's my sword Here's my princely girdle And he's giving them all to David He's surrendering all claims to the throne He's saying to David I'm not worthy to have these or to wear these He gives them all up to him These mean nothing to me now I'm your friend. I'm your servant. And you see, it was Richard Baxter, the great Puritan preacher, that says there has to be a renouncing and a disowning and a forsaking of self to live for Christ. So it's more than just testifying to salvation. What's involved in a total full surrender as we consecrate ourselves to the Lord is living a life of self-denial. Turn over there to 1 Corinthians And look with me at chapter 6. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. And in the verse 20. He said this. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Which is in you. Which you have of God. And you're not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. And in your spirit. Which are God's. And if you're in Christ and want to live for Christ, through the strength of Christ, then as a true follower of Christ, you will learn to deny yourself. It's vital. It's fundamental. It's a necessary part of the Christian life. You see, there's a Christianity abroad today that seems to be tailor-made to suit people's particular lifestyle to allow people to be comfortable in their sin, to, to live a life of, of self-indulgence so they can do what they like with their own time on a Sabbath day or any other day, uh, to do what they like with their own talents, to do what they like with, with their money. And and they refuse to live a life of self-denial. But remember Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him walk, take up the cross Let him deny himself and follow me. If there's a connection between service and following Christ, there's a connection between self-denial and following Christ. Remember, the Lord Jesus lived a life of self-denial. His birth, his sinless life, his atoning death. Were they not all acts of self-denial? Do we not read in Philippians 2 those lovely words? He Humbled himself. This is what Christ did for us. He was born for us. He lived a sinless life for us. He died an atoning death for us. He rose for us. And should we not, in light of his acts of self-denial, learn to put Christ first? Is Christ really anything to us? How much do I value him? Do we live for our own empty, vain pleasure and comforts of life irrespective of him? You see, it's a life. Here's the picture now. I want you to understand this. It's a life of testifying to salvation. I've been bought with the precious blood. It's a life of total surrender. I'm going to live a life of self-denial unto the Lord. Could I tell you thirdly, it's a life of total submission to Christ he's the heavenly shepherd I'm his sheep Jesus said my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me you see someone who's following Christ will want to live to do the will of Christ And they'll recognize Christ's authority over them. So if Christ says go, they go. If Christ says come, they they come. If Christ says submit, they they, they submit. See, remember, you can't have Christ as Lord and Savior. You, You can't have Christ as Lord and Savior without recognizing that. Many people just want Christ as their Savior. They refuse him as their Lord. But the order of the New Testament is that he's Lord and Savior. And you often hear me referring to him as Lord and Savior. Because he can't be your Savior. He's not also your Lord. Wasn't it Mary said? Before she ever uttered the words, My soul doth rejoice in God, my Savior. She talked about the Lordship of Christ. Remember Paul the mask is Lord, what will thou have me to do? Acts 9 and 6, This was he was seeking God's will for him. He recognized that God has a work for him to do, that God had a word for him. Think of Acts 6 and 30, 16 and 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and thou shalt be saved. You see, following Christ really means, part of it is obeying his word, listening to his voice in all things. Regarding the Sabbath, regarding salvation, regarding sanctification, regarding surrender. It's listening to Christ. Could I also point out that it's a life of truthful service? The Lord Jesus was the greatest of all servants. The Bible says he went about doing good. Peter's been told here, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. It's simple. And yet it's so profound. Peter, I have a ministry for you to do. I want you to do good to all men, the children, the, the, the men and the women, especially they of the household of faith. You can exercise a ministry. You can do good to other people. You can help them on long life's journey. Here's a ministry all in itself: helping people. And in do so, you're following Christ. Christ fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He comforted those that were bereaved. He taught people. The Bible tells us he gave us life a ransom for many. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. You see, he served in all these ways. You could be a lawyer. You could be an accountant. You could be a doctor. You could be a carpenter. You could be a plumber. And why are you fulfilling that role? Well, you could say, well, that's the Lord's will for me. And you'd be absolutely right. But recognize that in these particular professions and all professions, it's not just these ones, you're there to serve Christ. And you're there to use your position to help others, to to tell them of Christ that they need to be saved, to, to teach them the word of God, to, to, to have a word of comfort if they're in need, if, if they say to you they're hungry, to help defeat them, and so on and so forth. You see, it's recognizing it through this job, whatever it is, a lawyer, a plumber, a accountant, a doctor, a carpenter. I'm there as a servant to Christ to help to serve other people. And that's the ministry here. It's a, it's a life of truthful service. If we're following Christ, we will want to help others. We will have a love for people. We'll be willing to help and assist others in time of need, and we'll be doing it as unto Christ. And I think we've lost sight of this. I think we need to rediscover this because this is part of service. It's not just about full time service. A preacher or a missionary can be called to full time service, and that's wonderful. But in your profession, whatever your job is, you can be there to serve Christ as you use your position to help others. And it's only possible, of course, through the strength of Christ. When you're united to him. Not only is this a precept to be obeyed And a picture to be understood. But let me say this in closing. There's a price to be paid. Follow Thy me. You see in the context. The Lord Jesus was saying to Peter. You're going to have to follow me to death Peter. You're going to have to follow me to martyrdom. See, remember, he says here in verse 18, if you look at it, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself. That means you dressed yourself and walked whither thou wouldest. Notice the rest of the verse. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands. In other words, he's he's probably in handcuffs or his hands are bound. And another shall gird thee. In other words, he'll, he'll be dressed and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. Notice verse 19, this spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. In other words, it's a reference to Peter becoming the prisoner. Peter being bound and fettered. Peter facing trial. Peter being sentenced to death. Peter being taken to a place where he would rather not go. Christ is telling him here how he's going to end his life. This is my will for you, Peter. And of course, 34 years later, Peter was crucified upside down. His wife was forced to watch and he encouraged her by remembering the example of the sufferings of the Savior. And he died, Clement says, the bishop, having a firm hope and assurance of heaven. Peter, there's a price to be paid if you follow me. There's a cost to being a true disciple. And here's an interesting thing. There wasn't one word of rebuke. Not one word of complaint. Peter wasn't flinching from this. Peter wasn't saying, not so, Lord. When the Lord Jesus had told him that that he was going to die, Peter argued with him, took out the sword, and wanted to cut somebody's head off. But now there's compliance. Now there's contentment. Why? Because he's listening to the risen Christ. He's got his eyes in him. He's been transformed and transfixed by him. And of course, a sight of the risen, crucified Christ does that. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said in Luke chapter 14 and in the verse 26. He says this, Luke 14 and verse 26. If any man come after me and hate not his father and mother... And wife and children and brother and sisters, yea, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. In other words, there's a cost to following Christ. And I say this this morning as we finish. Every true follower of Christ is branded a fool and fanatic by this world. They look upon the Christian as being out of their mind. Look upon the Christian as being mad and stupid. Wasn't that what um, King Agrippa or King Festus uh, said to Paul? Thou art mad, thou art beside thyself. Much learning hath made thee mad. He hears the, the view of the worldly man. He hears how he looks upon the child of God. Those that say abortion is murder. Those that say homosexuality is a great sin. Those that say that defrauding the tax man is stealing. Those that say that... Um, Breaking the Sabbath is breaking the law of God. Those that teach that children ought to obey their parents and the Lord. Those that say that adultery and fornication and gambling and drunkenness is all sin. Those that believe that God is and that Christ is the only Savior of sinners. We're looked upon as individuals of a different planet. We're looked upon as those that are mad out of our head. And then to add them to the mix, say, well, we go to church on a Sunday and we we have a prayer meeting and we give some of our tithes and offerings toward the work of God and we say no to this sin and this sin because we love Christ. You see, there's a cost to following Christ. But you know the biggest cost of all? The Lord Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and lose his own soul? And those that refuse to follow Christ, that's the price that they will pay the loss of their own soul. Do you value your soul? Do you value the time that God has given you? Then I commend to you this precept that needs to be obeyed. I commend to you to try and understand this picture. I'm professing salvation. I'm going to live a life of full and total surrender to the Lord. I'm going to live in submission to him and his word. I'm going to live a life of service unto Christ. And by the grace and help of God, I'll pay this price that needs to be paid to the honor and the glory of the Lord. I commend this word to you this morning. I pray the Lord will bless it to all who have heard it, not only here, but those online and use it for his glory.